0: And turn to the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and give your attention to the reading of God's word today.
1: This morning, if you didn't bring a Bible with you, there should be a little white paperback Bible in the pew in front of you. You can use that. And in that pew Bible, it'll be on page 618. When you've made it to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, say, He will be praised. praised. All right. Chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. "'Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. "'To draw near, to listen, "'is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, "'for they do not know that they are doing evil. "'Be not rash with your mouth, "'nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, "'for God is in heaven and you are on earth. "'Therefore, let your words be few, "'for a dream comes with much busyness "'and a fool's voice with many words.' When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Let not your mouth lead you into sin, and do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? For when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity But God is the one you must fear. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Well, we continue in our journey through the book of Ecclesiastes, and we're just going verse by verse. And so who knows, we might be in this book until Jesus returns, okay? And so we're just going slowly through this. And just to really quickly catch you up, um, we are attributing Solomon being the author of this book and Solomon outside of Jesus being the wisest man that ever lived. And what he's doing is he's surveying the purpose of life. And he was more successful, had more money, had more accolades than anybody that you could ever imagine. And he's writing this book in his old age, and he is sort of looking back on his life, and he's answering the fundamental question, does the concept of God being at the center of your life really matter? Um, Does that really define everything else? Does everything else flow from the understanding that God must be at the center? And in the first couple of chapters, he sort of makes the thesis of, yes, if God is not the center of your life and understanding who you are in light of who he is, then everything that you pursue in life will be vanity. It will be fleeting. It will be like trying to catch smoke, if you will. You will pursue and you will exhaust yourself. And at the end of the day, you will be left with nothing. And so we've said that Solomon is sort of like this cynical philosophy professor, if you will, right? That, that we are his students, and he is saying, hey, learn from my experience. And today in chapter 5, in those first seven verses, it's very interesting how he surveys now this idea of, of worshiping God formally. And so as, as he's looking at, if you will, back in the Old Testament, people entering into the temple Offering their sacrifices and and worshiping God, he he surveys a few things. And and, and maybe this will be helpful. Have have you ever pulled up to someone's house or had to go and maybe it was a dinner time or just a family member's house. And as you pulled up to the house, you saw the precarious sign that says, beware of dog, right? Right. And all of a sudden, your senses heighten, and you're now scomming and scanning around right, for this notorious dog that might come up. And, and I'm always the person that they're like, oh, you know, that dog is fine. It'll never do anything. And then it bites me, and they're like, wow, he's never done that before. That's crazy. Like, that's the luck that I always have. And, and in a way, I'm, I'm thankful for a sign like that, because what they're doing is they are, in a way, preparing you to approach... Their home, if you will. Hey, if you're coming inside or if you're approaching our house, you need to be aware of some things. And in a way, in in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, it's sort of like Solomon is saying um, there should be a sign over a place of worship, and it should say, Beware of God. And to borrow a phrase from Eugene Peterson, he says it this way. Sometimes I think that all religious sites should be posted with a sign reading, Beware of the God. The places and occasion that people gather to attend God are a dangerous place. They are glorious places and occasions true, but they are also dangerous Danger signs should be conspicuously placed as they are at a nuclear power station. Because to worship God is a dangerous thing. Now that's interesting. And many of you are like, where, where are you going with this? Should we be afraid? Should there not be joy? This, that, and the other. Well, I need to make a disclaimer. Solomon is not speaking to people who do not worship God or, as we would say today, unbelievers. Solomon is posting a reminder for those of us who do this week in and week out. And what he's saying is there's almost this dangerous understanding that we do not comprehend what we are doing when we engage in worship To the God of the universe. It's almost like it's something that that becomes flippant. It's almost like a box that we check off. But what Solomon's going to do for us is he's going to change our uh, perspective today. And this idea of the bigness and vastness of God. I love what one commentator, Derek Kinder, said was this. Like the prophets, Solomon presses for reality in this realm. But his tone is quiet though his words are razor sharp. Whereas the prophets hurl their indictive against the vicious and the hypocrites, Solomon's writer, the the target of his writing, is the well-meaning person who likes a good sing or a hymn and turns up cheerfully enough to church, but who listens with a hard heart and never quite gets around to what he has volunteered to do for God, such a person has forgotten where he is and who he is, but above all, who he is worshiping. Now, this is a message that we need every once in a while. In a way, what Solomon is doing is he's almost placing us in our rightful place. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to walk through the text and look at what is this idea and really the thrust of these seven verses is this right worship requires reverence of God that right worship requires reverence of God now there's many ways that that can be played out and it doesn't always have to be you know this idea of who I like to call Deacon Bob right oh god Oh, right. And it's just like, who are you talking to, man? Right? Nobody talks that way, okay? And so we're going to challenge that person today for sure. Like, hey, chill out. It's okay, all right? But for the majority of us, it's going to be the challenge of this idea that it's almost like Jesus is my boyfriend. This idea of these flippant words that we use to describe the resurrected Jesus Christ. This flippant understanding of, like I've even heard people say sometimes, you know, when I get to heaven, I'm going to tell God a thing or two. What? 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 And what Solomon's going to do today is he's going to say, hey, when you you gather and when you come into worship, there's some things that we need to be aware of. And listen, my goal is this today, that through Solomon teaching us this idea and this big concept of right worship to God, that when we fall in line with this, that you would love Jesus more and that your worship would be turned up a level today. And so the first thing that we can do to revere God is this, is to watch what we say, is to watch what we say. I mean, he says it in the very first verse, guard your steps when you go to the house of God. Now, I have to do a little bit of work. So the temple in the Old Testament time was the meeting place. It's where God said, my spirit will dwell. In the Holy of Holies is where Charlton Heston's staff and then the Ten Commandments were, right? It was the holiest place. It was literally, as one scholar said, where heaven and earth collided and met. It's where the sacrifices were offered. It's where Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, where all of the blood was shed to foreshadow the coming of Jesus Christ. And so for us today as Christians, do you know what's interesting is is, is we don't have a holy place I mean, sure, we can go to the Holy Lands and we can see where Jesus and where the history of the Bible was. But what's beautiful about it in this idea of the new covenant is the Apostle Paul has the boldness to say that now we are the temple of the living God that the Spirit of God now dwells inside of us. So when we gather corporately together as Christians, it's not so much special about the place as much as it is the people of God that are dwelling together. And when the people of God dwell under the Word of God, filled with the Spirit of God, singing praises to God, that is in 2019 what Solomon is referring to. But he says, guard your steps. And then he says this, to draw near, to listen, is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know what they are, that they are doing evil. Verse 2, do not be rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven, and you are on earth. What's interesting is, underline that word rash there in your Bible, or if you have one of those ESV Journal Bibles. What's interesting is the word rash um, actually means anxious, almost flippant in a way. And, and, and literally, what Solomon is saying is, um, don't be a nervous talker, right? Do you, do you know those people, Right. Whenever they're nervous, they just begin to talk. That's, you know, kind of me, right? Like we're almost afraid of silence and this is awkward and I have to fill the air and blah, blah, blah. And now we're talking and now we're talking and now we're talking. And that's what Solomon is saying. Listen, don't do that whenever you come and whenever you gather in worship. And then it's very interesting that he says this. Look in verse 3. For a dream comes with much busyness and a fool's voice with many Words. So so the first thing that we can understand of how we can watch what we say is to listen. And the only way that we can listen is to be silent. And what Solomon is saying is this. Silence means that somebody else is speaking. That's what he's saying. He's saying the reason why we need to listen whenever we gather is because God is speaking. And so parents, you understand this concept, right? Hey, I just need you to listen to me, okay? But then there's the, well, let's do this, and then, and then they cut you off midway because they already assume what you're already going to say and this, that, and the other. And what you're saying is, hey, 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 I just need you to listen to me because I am speaking. And our Heavenly Father is the same way. He's saying, hey, whenever you approach and whenever you engage, be quiet. And one of the things that I had to take inventory of is that's a practice that we need to incorporate more in our gathering together. In the busyness and in the hectic upkeep of the world, there is something beautiful about offering people a time of silence and reflection. Because the radio's on and iTunes is playing. And, and, and we live in a world where there's this white noise constantly. And one of the things that Solomon's saying is a mark of reverencing and revering God is to remain silent sometimes. Because that means that somebody else is speaking. But then he gives us a reason why our words are important. And look at what he says. He says in verse 2, Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. Just look at that sentence in your Bible. It doesn't make sense grammatically when you look at it, right? Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word. Well, why didn't he say, do not let your mouth be hasty to utter a word? Because he just talked about, don't be rash with your mouth. But now he's saying, don't let my heart utter a word. So does my heart have lips? Like, what, like what is he talking about in light of this? And what he's saying is this, your words... They're a window into your heart. So it's don't be rash with your mouth and don't be quick to understand that the words that you say come from your heart. And this is a concept that Jesus even taught us in the Sermon on the Mount. He says this in Luke chapter 6. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. And so Solomon is saying, hey, when we reverence and worship God the words that we say, that actually matters. That matters a lot. And so that's one of the reasons why, like Tyler just referenced, that when we're singing, we have those scriptures underneath the screen for you to let you know what we are singing and where something like this comes from. But then here's something that's really dangerous. Look at verse 7, what Solomon says. For when dreams increase and words grow many... This is intense. Do you know what he's saying? He's saying there's a way that you can, quote, worship God. And what you're doing is you're creating your own fantasy. You're not even living in reality. The words that you're saying aren't a right description of who God is. And what you're doing rather than worshiping the true God is you are manufacturing and you are creating a God in your own image using your own words. That's a very dangerous thing for us to understand. Maybe this will help. Do you remember uh, the TV show Different Strokes? Remember that? You remember the famous actor Gary Coleman? What was Gary Coleman's line? What you talking about, Willis, right? And just sometimes I think when we ascribe worth to God, I think sometimes the proper response will be, what you talking about? Who, who are you talking about? To put it succinctly this way, when we talk about God, are we using the words that God has given us or are we worshiping a God that we've created with our own words? Listen to me. That is a profound difference. That, there's not, that, that we don't have to guess how God wants to be worshiped. And I've used this all the time. Imagine that I go home this afternoon and I have chocolates and roses, and I've cleaned the home, and I've done all of this, and Courtney says, "Oh my goodness, gracious, thank you so much. Why did you do this today?" And I said, "Babe, babe, look, look, babe. I love you, and I love your blonde hair, I love your blue eyes, and I love your fair, fair skin." If you know my wife, we're going to have problems, Chief. My wife ain't got blonde hair. She ain't got blue eyes and she's dark skin. I call her my little Pocahontas, all right? That's just a little thing that we got together, okay? Just letting you in on a little something. That would be weird, right? So we need to watch the words that we say. And listen, Christians are so flippant sometimes to throw out the God card and laid it on the table. And what Solomon is saying is, no, 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 no. be careful. Because when we reverence and when we worship this holy and this perfect and this gracious and this just God, we need to watch what we are saying. Because he has prescribed to us what he likes and the way in which he likes to be worshipped. So the first way that we can rightly worship by revering God is to watch what we say. But the second thing is this: is to do what we say. It's not just to watch what we say, but it's also to do what we say. Look at what he says in verse four: When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for He has no pleasure in fools. Like, don't don't you love the Bible? I mean, two times he's talked about people who think that they are worshiping God and they don't know what they're doing, and he calls them fools. He says, listen, you don't understand that that idea is foolish. And we see this principle all through the scriptures. And here's what we think what God wants. We think that God wants all of these words that we can create on our own. And then that is what is rightly reverent to him. But that's not what the scriptures constantly teach. And so what Solomon is correcting is sometimes what happens on a Sunday is, is, is you come in and God has spoken and, and, and you're convicted or you're encouraged and then there's sort of an emotional experience that happens and because there's an emotional experience that happens, now all of a sudden these words start coming out and I'm going to do this and God, this is going to happen and I'm going to do this and oh God, this and this, that and the other and Solomon's going, whoa, 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 whoa. That's awesome. God has spoken in silence. It means somebody else is speaking. But be careful with what you say because what God wants from you is he wants you to do what you've said. And and we see this in 1 Samuel. Look at what God says. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and listen than the fat of rams. What's Samuel saying? Listen, what God really requires, listen, God is not interested in what you can offer him. What does he need? What does he need? And sometimes I think when we engage in worship that, oh, man, today the volume's turned up and God's really happy with worship today because, man, we were in it and the tone. And, and what we're doing is we're saying that that sacrifice is better than actually doing the things that we're singing about. A.W. Tozer was a famous uh, theologian and author who lived up in Chicago and was a part of Moody Bible Institute. And he said, Christians oftentimes don't tell lies as much as they sing them. And then later on the psalmist would say this, For you will not delight in sacrifice or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God. You will not despise. That's what God is desiring and wanting. And so he's saying, hey, 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 be careful with what you say. Be careful with what you say. There is a right, reverent way, okay? And, and, and there's a tension in this message today, and, and I've struggled all week to try to alleviate the tension, but I think that that's wrong. I think I have to leave the tension today. And it's this idea that would draw us to the Scriptures. And then do you know what Jesus says later on in the Gospels about attending a place of worship? Listen to these words. He says this. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Do you know what Jesus is saying? On your way to the gathering and on your way, if the Spirit of God affirms that you have ought with another brother or sister in Christ, I would rather you go offer forgiveness and repentance to that person than come to church. That is what is true worship. Because listen, God doesn't care so much about what you're doing as who you are becoming. That we just think that, that he's making us in his image and in his likeness. And so here's a sentence for you. The evidence, obedience is the evidence of true worship. That's what we're going for obedience is the evidence of true worship. And how foolish is it that we would get in our car and we would turn on Christian music and we would sing and we would do and we would say, oh man, this is worship and I am worshiping today. And then we go to bed with our boyfriend or our girlfriend. Listen, all I'm I'm just trying to go the route that Solomon is going today and he's saying, "Hey, listen, right worship requires reverence of God. And if for a glimpse, for a split second, if you could see into the heavens and see the God of the universe, that you would literally be contrite and fall on your face." Because this is the God that you are singing to. And I believe it's such a word for us in 2019 that Solomon says that Christians can literally create an incantation of music and of words and of swaying and of this, that, and the other and have an emotional experience and not for a second actually offered a contrite and broken heart unto the God of the universe. That we should watch what we say, but at the same time, do what you say. Do what you say. Because listen, for some of us, the questions that you have in your relationship with Jesus, I say this all the time. For some of us, the questions that you have in your relationship with Jesus and situations in your life right now, and you're praying to God, you know, you're know, you asking God, show me what's next in my life. Do you know where that answer is? That answer is just on the other side of obedience, I don't hardly ever see in Scripture God fully explain a situation to someone before they act on obedience. But I see all the time God nudging and saying, Go, I want you to do this. Hey, Abraham, go. Where should I go, God? Go. Just go. Imagine that conversation that he had to have with his wife when he went home. (laughs) Well, babe, pack up the house. Where are we going? No clue. No clue. We're just supposed to go. And then in the journey, God leads and guides. So this idea of reverent worship is obedience. And here's something that we understand and what's so beautiful. Many of you think that when I say obedience, that when you obey, that God's more happy with you. The obedience is not for God. It's not for God, that the fuel for our obedience is acceptance with God in the person of Christ. And so when you step out in faith in that act of obedience, in our life being worship, and what we're saying is all of the fear and everything that I have to offer forgiveness or to make that phone call or to have a meeting with that person, this is what Paul says in Romans 12, is your true and spiritual worship. To watch what we say, to do what we say, but there's a motivation under all of this. What is the fuel that guides us in this? Which is the last thing, to know our place, to know our place. Look at what Solomon says in verse 2. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. Verse 7, for when dreams increase and words grow many, there is vanity, futile, pointless. But how can we break through that, Solomon? He answers, but God is the one you must fear. I'll be honest, I've struggled my whole Christian life with the concept of the fear of God. There's a tension there. And every time I bump into it in Scripture, I'm challenged constantly. Over 300 times in the Bible, we are commanded to fear God. And we try to explain it away, right? We try to explain it away and make it nice. Well, it doesn't mean fear. What it means is like, you know, respect for someone in a position of authority or or something like that. No, no, no. Every time somebody encounters the living God or even an angel in the Bible, do you know what happens? They fall down as though dead. And the response is always, then fear not. What? I'm told to fear, but then I'm told to fear not. Why? Because when you encounter the living God, you are reminded that he is not like us that he is in heaven and it is his dwelling place and that he is the sovereign ruler of the universe. And when we encounter that beauty and that majesty, that is something that reminds us we are very small. And so to define the fear of God, I would put it this way. A healthy fear of God is found in focusing on the beauty and the majesty of God. It's found in focusing on the beauty and the majesty of God. And in that moment, you find out just how small you really are. In any way that I try to think about this, I always revert, and I think he just did it best. C.S. Lewis in his books, The Chronicles of Narnia, describes when the children are going to meet the king of Narnia, Aslan. And, and, and it's this beautiful, majestic scene. And the kids find out that, that Aslan is a lion. And all of a sudden, Lucy, she gets a little nervous because she didn't know that Aslan was a lion. And, and lions are, well, you're kind of afraid of lions. And so she asks the tour guide. She then tells Mr. Beaver, I shall, f- uh, I shall feel rather nervous about meeting a lion, she asks Mr. Beaver. And then she says, is Aslan the lion? Safe? He is a lion and I am fearful, but is he safe? And then Mr. Beaver replies, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he is good because he is the king. That is it. That this idea that God is in heaven... And that his throne occupies and he is the sovereign over the universe is something for us to know our place. And this is a challenge for us. And how much more for us as Christians today that we have the scriptures that we have the Holy Spirit, that now that we don't have to offer sacrifices, that we don't have to go to the temple, that there is no more Yom Kippur, that there is no more Day of Atonement, for now that Jesus Christ was the end of all sacrifices... And that in the temple on the day that Jesus was crucified, it says that the temple curtain was torn from top to bottom, symbolizing that God made his way down to man. And now God's presence is no longer confined to the holy of holies, but through the spirit of God in the people of God, equipped with the word of God, we now offer praises to God. And this is our right and reverent worship. But even then, we still have to have a correct view of this Jesus that we are worshiping. If Solomon says that there is a right reverent way back then to gather and to worship God, how much more today? And listen to the image that the Apostle John saw of the resurrected Jesus Christ. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands and in the midst of the seven golden lampstands was one like the son of man clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white like the white wool like snow and his eyes were like a burning flame of fire and his feet were like burnished bronze refined in a furnace and his voice thundered like the roar of many waters and in his right hand he held the seven stars from his mouth came a sharp two edged sword and his face was like the sun shining in full strength and when I saw him I fell at his feet as though dead but he laid his right hand on me saying fear not I am the first and the last and the living God I died and behold I am alive forever more and I have the keys of death and of Hades. That's Jesus Christ. That is whom we gather and whom we worship. And oh my, we watch what we say to you, Jesus. And we do, we want to do what we say. And we want to know our place. So as the band comes and leads us in a time of response, I want to do what we've learned. And what we're going to do before we come and partake of the table today is I want us to recite the Lord's Prayer together out loud to watch what we say for this to be a guardrail for us. But then I want to offer a time of silent reflection and to be okay with the silence. Many of us aren't okay with that because we use words to distract us from where the Spirit of God actually wants us to go. And rather than to sit and to contemplate about the goodness and the majesty and the beauty of God, we fill it with words, so as a distraction. But today our words will be the words from God. And then we will sit and we will ask the Spirit of God, apply this to my life. Show me your beauty and show me your majesty. So Westside, would you stand at your feet and draw your attention to the screen and let us read these words out loud together. Our Father Heavenly Father, we ask that you would send your spirit to search our hearts. For we confess that we have not loved you with everything that we should and that we are. But we are thankful for your grace that meets us where we're at. And it doesn't leave us there. Heavenly Father, may we have a right view of you today. Guard our hearts and minds from distractions. And as Solomon says, even fantasies that we create about you rather we want to see the true and living God found in the person of Jesus Christ and as we come to this table today may we come in awe and may we come in reverence where heaven and earth collide for what we see when we look at this table is what what our sins cost us what we see the payment that cost you What we see the same elements that beckon us and say hear this it is finished loved, that you were forgiven, that you were chosen, that you were delighted in. God, guard our hearts from creating you in our own image, but rather let us worship you in your image and likeness. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.